You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. At this time, I'm going to invite up our scripture reader for this morning. If you can stand with me. Welcome anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not judge one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else who judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to the Lord. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat it, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written... As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, To that one it is unclean, for if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever served Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It is a good thing to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. You can have a seat. Again, want to welcome everyone. And again, if you are newer, we're uh, coming to the end of this series uh, through this letter called Romans, written by this man, Paul. And... Uh, 
a lot of different themes, but one, one of these ideas is that this gospel, the good news, the message of Jesus, it, it has absolutely personal ramifications. It affects how you can be made and restored in the right relationship with God. But we've also seen that uh, it's, it never just stays with us individually. It's always meant to bring together a people, a family, a community for God always about community. And today then, uh, we're just going to get to really dive into that and look at some of the practical implications of what does this mean for how we do relationship with, for, with one another as a church? I think applicable as we have things like our partners meeting going on, what does it mean for us to be together in Christ? And it, it ties really well into our even our vision as a church um, that we exist to lead people to reconciliation with God and reconciliation with one another. And this idea of reconciliation is key that we're talking about relationship. It's all about relationship. Even in a book like Romans that's so heavily, densely theological and doctrinal and it's glorious. Some of you who love to nerd out over this stuff, you've been like, man, can we just go back to the beginning of Romans and hit all the stuff we didn't really do well in the beginning? And Maybe you had like a whole series to practice and we can, um, we're not going to do that, but but it's reminded it's to help us to do relationship better, help us to be on our vision better. So pray for, let's pray together right now as we seek the Spirit's guiding in these truths. Lord, as we even just heard read, so many practical implications, Lord, that these truths are never meant to be kept just in a private study, but it always makes a difference in how we relate with one another, especially here as a church. So help us, God. So much of the scripture is written, and, and we're just imagining, Lord, we tend to lift up the ancient churches in the scriptures, but we find they have some of the same problems we do. So thank you for that, and thank you for the hope we have knowing, Lord, just as you work there, you're working here. So Holy Spirit, guide us as we look into your scriptures, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I want to look at a few different ideas that, that we see here. One is freedom in Christ. This idea of what it means to be free in Christ. And even that term, I think for some of us, um, it's like it gets you really happy. This idea of being free in Christ. Because maybe some of you, if you, were, if you grew up in church or came from other backgrounds, you might have come from some settings where there, you never heard the word freedom in Christ before. It was actually very heavily rules-oriented. Like Christianity was about what you did. And, and you maybe even were taught a lot of, this is what a Christian does. This is how you're supposed to conduct yourself. And then you start reading your Bible. And you're like, uh, hold on, son, where, where is that in the scriptures? <laughs> like, I didn't, and, and, and you just kind of accept that this is what it means to be a, a Christian, never knowing that there's a lot of extra biblical um, things that are sometimes attached to the teaching of, of, of the people of Christ. And I think some of that's okay because we, we're, we can extrapolate, we can apply, but we've got to be really careful. And there's a word for that, legalism. We don't attach extra biblical prescriptions saying, this is how you become a Christian. That, that's legalism. So for some of you, you've run from that. So when we're talking about freedom, you're like, yes, it's all about freedom. We are free now. We don't have to be glum when we come to church. We can actually be full of joy. And that's all good. And Paul, he loves freedom. 
And he wants to walk us through that because it might be a little bit different than sometimes how we understand freedom to be, especially in our context as Americans. And I know I love that not all of our community is from America originally, um, but we're all here now. And one of the heavily cultural ideas is freedom. We love freedom. So Paul might have a good word for us. He uses the example of food and drink. Um, and as we heard read, we, we have this uh, kind of um, differentiation between weak people and strong people. And I think it's helpful for us to understand when Paul uses strong or weak, he's not talking about moral or ethical implications. Just want to be, because I know we probably got some plant-based like people here. We got some carnivores in here. This is not meant to be a fight over what is more moral, what's more ethical. And I think you can have those conversations, actually. I, again, I mean, you know me, right? I love, I love meat. But I, I've grown in my understanding of being more aware of some of the societal implications of benefits of perhaps being plant-based, even on resources the economy. I guess. So yeah, I mean, there's room for all that, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. This is not meant to be an exercise in debating whether it's good or bad. It's more talking theologically. It's more talking everything that's come in Romans up to this point about righteousness and about being in Christ and about your standing with God. How does the food you eat or the drink you drink, how do those things affect it then? He's also talking about holy days, and some, some, think, some scholars think he's referring to the Sabbath. Others think he might be talking more about some of the religious festivals. Probably it's some kind of combination of both of those, because um, if you can imagine, there are some people in that church in the time that Paul's writing to, they're wrestling, because they're adhering to certain festivals or certain days or maybe dietary laws whether they were ethnically Jewish, Hebrew, or not. They're wrestling with these things, and then they're seeing someone who goes to their same church who's conducting themselves very differently than what they believe is right, who's ch choosing different days, and, and, and it's very different, and it's pricking their conscience. And they're like, yo, I saw Mrs. Johnson over at the market, buying some food, I know that was not prepared in the right way. I know it was not prepared in a way that was like appropriate. To, and, and just people wrestling. And it's like a good reminder, when we come together as a church, we just see what we see, but there's always stuff going on in our context that frames how we worship together. And Paul's addressing those things. The point being here, Paul is trying to educate this in, in this larger uh, message don't, no longer, you, yeah, you, you might be culturally Jewish. You might be in your history coming from a Gentile background. But guys, as this new people, as a new church, um, we are all fellow disciples. We're all fellow followers of the new Lord, of the Lord. We are all one new family. You got to stop making that your primary distinction of who you are. Because it's going to tear us apart here, especially when it comes to how we view certain days or how we eat dinner together, what we ingest into our body, what we buy at the market. And, and this is like a societal earthquake. The gospel, maybe for some of us, is just normal because you've grown up and you had a good mommy or daddy that taught you the gospel and like you, you can recite it back and forth. But man, we have to remember this is like an earthquake in the world that people who are always divided 
now have been brought one. This one Christ has spoken to all. Wherever you come from, you are now part of this family. Because of Jesus' accomplishments in his death and his resurrection, all people are received equally. And one of the wonderful implications of that is now you are free. It doesn't matter what you've eaten, what you've drank, what, what days you, you are now free. A word for that is liberty. Liberty's glorious. It means that religion no more is like, what, what hoops do I need to jump through to be acceptable? Jesus has done it. And now you're free and we love it. But here's what Paul's also saying. Liberty, freedom, it's for the sake of worshiping the Lord. You've been given freedom so you can worship God with, with freedom in a better way. So, for example, they got that whole part in there about, um, you know, what some people look at one day as more holy and others. And there might even be some who are tempted to say, you know, it's getting a little late to get out of bed in the morning on Sunday. And it's like, man, these pad, these jammies are real comfortable. And I know it's like freezing out there in Baltimore today. Hey, yo, Paul is saying one day is not more important than the other. Is it really important we go to worship today? We got live streaming and, you know, I mean, we're free. Um, I think Paul would have had a real problem with that. He'd have been, oh, you missing all the other things I wrote about don't, don't give up meeting together. All the things in the scriptures about the importance of the gathered people. Don't, don't miss out on that. He would have had a big problem in using some of these verses, even here talking about freedom, as justification for kind of becoming inwardly focused. That's not what freedom is for. Because the assumption is that what you exercise in your freedom, it's so that we can honor the Lord in worship. Freedom is so that you don't have, am I doing things the right way now? Have I followed all the prescriptions? Have I done the right sacrificial order? Oh man, Leviticus is so hard to remember. Do I cut their head off first or do I spread the wit? Oh, I can't remember how to do it, priest. How? You're free from all that. You can come to God. Even in your jammies, you can come here and worship. But worship of God has to involve relationship with others. That's part of worship. Worship is not a solo endeavor. Freedom, it allows us to be in a relationship with God and with one another as we worship the Lord as one. That's why we're free. So the reason that Paul's nailing down on some of these secondary uh, beliefs, because they were dividing the church. How you eat, how you drink, Mrs. Johnson, Mrs. Smith, they looking at the market, they're like, oh, heck no, I can't go to worship with them. That family's pagan. They're crazy. They're taking their freedom, freedom, liberty, liberty, and they're just going nuts. They don't revere the Lord. Or, oh man, they're just so immature. They didn't pick up systematic theology book and learn, you are free, brother. You don't have to worry about all that. I can't worship with them. They're like little, they're like intellectually deficient. And Paul's saying, yo, 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 hold up. We need to recognize these are secondary issues, tertiary issues, and there's a difference. So there are some beliefs that we would say are primary, essential beliefs, like Jesus is the Son of God. 
God is three in one, the Trinity. Salvation is found in Christ alone. We would say those are actually essential beliefs that are meant to kind of put a line there, say, do you understand this? Do you trust in this? If not, in love, we have to say, you might not be a Christian. These are actually really important, but there's other issues that are secondary, even tertiary, that you can agree or disagree and still call yourself a Christian. And we've got to keep those orders correctly here. But I think here, it's also helpful to understand Paul's not writing this as like, well, it's, let's just agree to disagree. That's not his posture. Um, he's kind of clear when he says, uses words like stronger, he's believing there's a better way. He's believing we are free. You don't have to be under these rules of what kind of food you eat anymore. It's all acceptable. So even as Paul desires for the weaker to grow in their theological knowledge, to grow in understanding the gospel, what he's saying is this is not something for the people of God to be divided over. Even if you understand these things or you don't, may we not be divided. It's that important for us to be together. So just to make it very practical here, Paul is telling on the stronger end, right? Paul is telling some of these knowledgeable believers. They are sitting in the front row in theology class, right? They love the sermons. They're there. They're the ones who hear the songs like, um, music leader, that's not theologically correct. We should not be singing that one. It's actually in, a, in um, Paul is telling some of those knowledgeable believers, even if you know the theological reasons why you're free to eat everything, you understand the gospel. You know that food will not earn you in or it can't keep you out of the kingdom. You know all that. Like, you can enjoy bacon now. Praise God. You can go to the shore and you can have all the shrimp cocktail you want now. Praise the Lord, right? But if your knowledge of that freedom separates you from others in your family, how mature are you really? Even if you can eat all that, if your knowledge of those things keeps you from being in fellowship with others in your family, can we really call you mature? Even if you know the theology book back and forth, you know all the catechisms, are you really mature if that's dividing you from others in your family? That's, that's what Paul's saying here. And again, he's talking to both ends of the spectrum here, basically with the same message. You need to commit to be together. You need to fight to be in union together. Don't let these things divide you. Because just think very, very underground practical. If, if you don't eat the same food as someone, or even more, if you like are disgusted by the food someone eats because of theological reasons, there's a, probably a pretty good chance you're not spending that much quality time over a dinner table probably you're not saying, hey, come over to my house to eat, or can I come over to your place to eat, or can we get together to go get dinner together and really hash out what it means to be the people of God, not just coming and hearing a sermon, but really living it out. There's probably a good chance you can't do that if you're being separated by what food is allowable or not. Why would you want to? If someone is like living apart from God, or abusing for, why would you, you don't want to sit together. You might even go to a church together, but you're not going to spend quality time together. 
And guys, the church of Christ can't afford to be divided over what the Lord has not said is essential. And freedom, it helps us clarify what's important. Again, not that all of it's not important, but what is essentially important. So if we think relation, I think about it as like, I think about my own family, for instance. It would really be easy if everyone in a family has the same dietary preferences. Like, you just press a button, you just go to it. Um, our family has a high value. We like it. We don't do it all the time. So when we do go out to eat, we find great joy in that. That might be shallow to some of you, but we love it. But man, it can be kind of dramatic when it comes time to choosing where we go to eat. You know, one person's like, oh yeah, we can do this. Oh, I don't like that. Can we do this? Well, yeah. I'm like, come on, y'all. It's just dinner. Can we just go? Do we always got to go to an a old country buffet then where you got everything? Can we go to like a good? But here's the thing. Um, I, I guess I could say I'm the head of the home, right? I could say, okay, you know what? We want to affirm all of your freedom and your choice because you have a freedom to love that. Here's gift cards for everyone. Y'all just go to your own restaurant. Enjoy your food that you like. And let's all meet back together at, at Starbucks in an hour. Cool? I mean, I, I guess that's a way to do it. And I'm not judging if that's what your family does, right? That's, that's cool. Go to the food court. Ah, sp- um, but I, I think, at least as I think about it, for for me and our family, the goal primarily is not what we eat. That's not why we're going out. The goal is that we do it together. The goal is to be together. That's why we're going out. Of course we enjoy the food, but the bigger goal is to be together. And it's a silly illustration, but as we think about the church, freedom is never just for ourselves. It's for the Lord. And when we live for the Lord, we are free to love one another in Christ. Freedom is so that we can love better, love God and love one another. And that's our second point, loving in Christ, that we love in Christ. And again, the passage is read, so I'm not going to reread it here, but you can hold it open to um, starting verse 13. But again, uh, this concept of freedom, again, some of you who are not naturally uh, American, it might feel a little weird sometimes to be an American. I'm fully with you, right? Because every nation has their own like high values. In the U.S., um, this, I think this, there's something within us that there's, it really strikes a chord when you talk about freedom or liberty. Um, I mean, on the opposite end, there is probably for some, no greater like fear than the threat of having your freedoms taken away. I mean, that's, that's like why all the conspiracy theories, right? They're trying to take away your freedoms. They're trying to take away your liberty. Be careful. Hold on. Whatever it might be, right? So I, I think it's helpful to keep in mind that when Paul explains the purpose of freedom, it might be a little differently and norm maybe than how we would think as many of us as Americans. Um, like we looked at last week, we're no longer under the debt of sin, but we do have a debt of love. And so Paul goes on to describe, you are free, but again, how do you love one another as free people now? Because freedom is not like, woohoo, Jesus has set us free, now y'all go off and do Wild West. No, you've actually been freed so that you can now be under daddy in a family with others. And he describes here, right? Like, don't put a stumbling block in front of others. Don't make it harder for others through your freedom. 
You know, don't, don't, don't let your word become slander. Don't let your good works become slander because of these differentiations about what you eat or drink. Like he says in verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's like, guys, we got to be really careful. We don't get distracted from what is our primary thing that brings us together. Because if we're not careful, freedom can actually harm our community. Um, and I, I think about weird stories. Uh, we haven't had one yet this winter. I'm just an old curmudgeon now, so I hope we don't. But we haven't had a big snowfall yet, right? Some of you are like, you stink, man. Are you the reason? Do you have a word to God to say no snow? And I, I'm just too old now. I'm okay if we don't have snow. But um, what I do love about snow, one thing is the whole shoveling thing. It's fun. And you get to know your neighbors in ways that many times you don't. It's great. But I remember one winter, um, man, it was one of those like multi-foot kind of snows. And I looked at my car and it was like the normal snowfall, but it was like a whole nother thing on top of it. And what I realized, and in front of it, there was a nice big spot. What I realized, someone else had dug themselves out, but the way they dug themselves out, put all their snow on top of my car. So I'm like, yo, Holmes, what's going on? Like, who's, who's your neighbor? It, it's just crazy. So I have all this extra work to dig myself out. And it's, it's a silly illustration, but it, it helps to show like that dude, or maybe it was a woman, but that dude, I'm going to attribute to a dude. He shoveled him. He got free. He got to escape. He's like, yes, freedom from Snowmageddon. He's great. And then he leaving his poor neighbor with like extra snow on top. And I'm very unfree. I think I just waited for that John to melt, right? I didn't even try to get out. Simply, if your freedom makes your life better, but makes someone else's worse, that's not the love of Christ. Freedom is not just for you to exult in how free you are. No more shackles. No one can tell me what to do. I am righteous in Christ. There is no condemnation. Yes, me! No, actually, you've been freed so that you can love your neighbor and especially those in your church and if you're not, if your freedom is actually causing others to suffer more, you got to wrestle with it. You got to wrestle with it. You got to ask questions because what we're reminded is none of us are an island. We're created to be with one another in larger society, but also in the context of a church. I, to think about it another way, the gospel, it helps us to understand what healthy relationships are. And uh, just from going through some conversations in our church, I think this is pretty accurate. A lot of us, um, the gospel is not just learning like some theological principles. It's just learning, oh, heck, how do I do relationship? Because I didn't realize that came from a dysfunctional family until I started to do some research. I'm like, whoa, that wasn't normal. That's not how you do conflict. That's not how you co communicate with others. Wow. And for a lot of us, we don't know how to do healthy relationships. So the work of a church is not to just learn like Bible studies. That's real good. I'm not, don't misquote me, right? But it's learning how to do relationship in a way that honors God as part of people of this new kingdom. 
And, and some of that is understanding how are we supposed to be in relationship with others. So again, that whole freedom thing. In America, I would say, what's one word that describes like the epitome of what we're striving to be? Independent. I mean, that's our whole country history, right? Independent. We even gave it its own day, right? It's great. And we give it fireworks and hot dogs. It's great. Independence Day. And we lift up this value of independence. And there's some good value to that. I'm kind of glad I speak in an American Philly Balmer accent now, right? That's cool. I, I like that. I, I would have liked to s- s- talk like the crown, but I mean, that's okay. I'm over it. So independence, it's not bad in itself. But we have to be careful that we don't elevate in relationships independence as the epitome of relationships. Because if you think about it, that sounds good, especially maybe coming out, some of us, we come from more entangled kind of relationships. And like, I need to be independent. Independence is actually not the goal. Codependence is absolutely not the goal. Codependence is where you're so tied to others, you don't know who you are apart from them. That's not healthy, but I would suggest a full independence is also not healthy because you're meant to be in community with others. Some of us are like, if I could just be independent, I'd be happy. I'm like, maybe, but that's not how God designed you. I would suggest rather than independence or codependence, God has created us to be interdependent. Like we're meant to have a sense of, you know who you are, you have an individuality, you can stand on your own, but you're also connected to other people. You're not so isolated that you don't need them. Like there's an interdependent sense of relationship that's healthy. And I think freedom speaks into that because you demonstrate your love to one another in a healthy interdependent kind of relationship. You demonstrate your love by what you're willing to give up for them. That's a healthy interdependent relationship. If you have no one in your life that you ask, what do I need to give up to be in relation with them? You might be a little bit too independent. If you're always asking, what do I need to give up to be in a relationship? That might be kind of codependent. But there should be a healthy sense of you know who you are. You have a certain sense of autonomy, but you're also deeply connected to other people. And there's a healthy interdependent relationship. I would suggest that's the way of Christ. A sacrificial relationship where those around you who are giving you much, you're receiving from them, but you're also giving. You're also sacrificing. And it's the way of Christ for our final point. And let me read, since we didn't have it read, Romans 15, starting verse 1. And you can follow along. It says, Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Therefore, welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers and so that the Gentiles may glory, glorify God for his mercy. Let's stop there for a moment. What we're seeing here, 
This is a reminder for us. We don't just submit to one another. We don't just give up our freedoms for one another because that's just what good people do. I I hope in our church we never answer, why do we do what we do? Well, because that's what good people do. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, look at what Jesus did. Ultimately, the reason that we look at our freedoms and say, is this something we can give up for others, is we look to the life of our Savior himself. As described here, this was the path of Jesus. Like it says in verse 7, Therefore, welcome one another, just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. And we're not going to read all of these here, but following, we see these different Old Testament passages that speak about Jesus. And it speaks very specifically about this idea of why he came. That it wasn't just for Old Testament Israel, but it was always for the nations. It was always for a bigger purpose. That Jesus, when he came, it was not a backup plan. It was not a plan B, C, or D. It was always clear from the beginning. And Paul's writing here, pulling back. He always came to bless the circumcised, which means the Jews, so that a whole group of people beyond them would experience the blessing of God as well. That's why he came on his mission. And we know that his mission involved him sacrificing himself on the cross. Just coming to the earth was a sacrifice for the God of gods, king of kings. But his sacrificial attitude, it was for the purposes of humbling himself to God's plan of redemption and reconciliation. When you open up Philippians 2, one of my most favorite passages of scripture, you read about the humility of Christ Yeah, it's describing his character, but we have to understand it was more than just he was a real humble dude, but he humbled himself to God for the sake of the redemption of the world. That's why he became humbled. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he conquered sin, death, and the grave, because he knew it was through him that all people, both ethnic Israel, but both new Israel, they would all be brought into family through his humility, through him dying to himself. All to say unity, it's not merely a tolerance for others' differences. But it's for the great purpose that Christ has come for all. The reason that we seek to do all this, submit one to one another. Not live for just our freedom alone, but freedom for one another. The reason we all do this, not just so we can get along at dinner, but it's realizing it's part of God's great plan to reach the nations, to love everyone, to love those who aren't in this great room right, right now. And it's what Jesus did, but he continually invites us to it as well, guys. That we submit our freedom for others in a debt of love, knowing that it moves forward this mission to proclaim Christ for all. That as we submit ourselves to one another, it's not just the practice of being a good person, but God is actually using that just like Christ as part of helping his message go out to the world. It sounds great, but it's not easy. Um, I was fascinated with the World Cup, as I know some of you are, because some of you real passionate after church downstairs. I could have been that pastor said, how come your joy was not this great during worship? I, I was in it just as much as you guys, right? It was great. Um, but I, I, I was following because the U.S. national team had a little bit of drama. If some of you followed the story, they had some drama with um, the, the head coach and some of the, one of the players involved. And it was, I'm, I'm not going to explain it all. You can go look it up. But just, it was really sad. 
Because you realize because of some of the conflict of one player between this coach, it involved the whole family. It involved that player's family. And that coach and that family had been friends for like decades, like as close as you can get. But because of the player's playing time and the unhappiness about it and how all that got out into the public, that those family relations, as far as I'm aware right now, are fractured. And the team probably didn't do as, it could, as good as it could have. It was really sad. And in an article I was reading about it, because it was just fascinating to me, how a game could break up a family harmony like that. Um, it started talking about youth sports and how there's this culture of youth sports with overbearing parents. And if, if, if that's you, I'm not looking at you right now. Don't you live in the freedom you have. But I heard there were like overbearing parents who like go to youth sports games and they're so invested in it. They become like, uh, like, like a demon yelling at referees, calling up like uh, owners of like, and it, it's kind of scary. And it's not just the American thing. This happens all around the world. But this article was saying it's, it's not unique to the U.S., but the U.S. has a particular cultural setting that almost breeds that to happen. Uh, he was referring to Hofstetter. If any of you have done research talking about group dynamics, and Hofstetter has done some research on the difference looking at long-term goal setting between individualistic and collectivistic societies, like people-oriented societies or collective, group-oriented. And it was fascinating because like some of the research, uh, some nations like China, really high in the collective, probably sometimes to unhealthy places, but really high in the collective, a little lower on individual. But even nations like Germany, pretty high in the individualistic, but the U.S.'s score was like 91 out of 100 on the individualistic and really low in the collectivistic. Like, again, our freedom, our independence, it's great. It's the reason we're not just eating fish and chips at dinner every night, right? But there's also an effect of elevating the individual over the collective. And there was one quote that just, it stood out to me. Where the author wrote, It is very hard to get Americans to accept suppressing even temporarily, their individual desires in favor of group goals and endeavors. <sighs> when any one person's freedoms are elevated above the group, you can't survive. I'm looking at the NBA right now. I'm not going to go into all that. But when one player's individual needs get elevated above the group, the group cannot survive. And it's obvious in sports but man, it's, it's too common in churches as well. I work with a lot of churches. Again, sadly, most churches, the issue is not a, when they have conflict, it's not a doctrinal issue usually. Sometimes it is. But it's often a relational issue. It's often people getting mad because they're not getting what they want. And again, we're not saying it's wrong to express what you desire, but people then not processing that way. And sometimes the tragic influences, you see churches just like split in half. I remember even as a kid, I, it's crazy. I can't believe I'm still a Christian, right? Because I remember when I was youth, one church I was at, we left a little bit before this happened, but the church had such a bad schism that there were three different factions of church that believed, and it had nothing to do with gospel but three different beliefs on what the church should be doing to the point where they were fighting like every week. Police had to come in every week. 
I'm thinking, what the heck? Our mission is to make Jesus known, but not like this. This is terrible. This is embarrassing. But it shows the impact when any one person's freedoms are elevated above the health of the group. So that's the negative side. And maybe some of you even come from that. But man, there's also a really wonderful positive side. Like when you get to see what happens when folks in a church, they commit to this law of love that says, I will gladly submit my preferences for the sake of another. It's like epic when you see it happen. And for me, at least, you know how I know that happens beyond just research? It's because I've witnessed it with my own eyes here at our own church. I mean, it's been pretty epic. It's been pretty amazing in this community called The Village. Even, and, and again, we, we're, we're almost 15 years in, so it's a little different, but especially earlier on, it was really hard to be a multi-ethnic church because every person that would come, the one comment you would say, it's, it's not that bad. I mean, preaching's all right. But man, I don't know if it fits me. It doesn't fit what I'm, my ethnic background or my cultural ideals or who I am or how I understand spirituality or, man, there's not as many people who are, understand me And that's one of the challenges of a multi-ethnic church in that we are intentionally, we talk about 75% rule, right? This idea that, and we're not talking about core doctrinal issues, but like in in secondary, tertiary things, like there should be a sense, like about 75%, three quarters of what the village does. You're like, oh, I'm right there. That is great. But there's like a whole another quarter. You're like, it's not like I hate it. But man, you're... Your singing beat is a little off on that one song. That's not how my church did it. Or, man, where's the food afterwards? In my ethnic church, we always had lunch afterwards. Where's the pastor's wife that's always cooking all the meals for everyone? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Like that, I mean, I, there's spirituality, but this, this is not real prayer, Prayer is how my church used to, and, and part of being in a multi-ethnic church is this understanding, there's got to be enough that keeps you here. It can't be like, I hate everything, but I feel bad, so I'll be here. There's enough that says, I am embedded, I love it, but there's also about a quarter of stuff you're like, I don't hate it, but I don't think it like meets me in my heart place. That's not the un- most unhealthy thing in the world. It's kind of okay. But here's where, I guess for me, The greater thing for me has not been to see people drawn to something that meets them exactly where they are. For me personally, um, it's seeing people commit to the village even when I know it costs you something. Even when I know it's not exactly because we're free. Uh, Most of you here, unless you're a child, you are here by choice. Some of you children, you have no choice. You worked that out with your folks, right? But if you're an adult, you're here by choice because you're free. We are not a state-mandated religion where you have to be here. You have to go. You have to be part of this church. right? You have chosen to be here. You've given up your time. You're like, I could be anywhere. I wouldn't even have to be in church, but I've chosen to be here. And in doing that, you have sacrificed some things especially some of you, maybe you come from uh, ethnic churches. You're like, you know what? There's a part, it's much more comfortable. Let's just be real. It's much more comfortable to be around people who understand me in every way. 
Some of you, maybe it is even doctrinally. There are some things about being part of this church you're like, I just don't fully agree with that principle. I just don't fully align with how we view that. But you're here. And, and as I think about that, I am just in awe because I know that to be part of any church, but even here, it costs us all something. But there is a, there's just power in submission. There's power in submission, especially when you're free. And we just talked about this in our premarital foundation, so it's fresh in my mind. Sub, submission, that feels like a dirty word, but when you are free, when you have full you are autonomous. You have a choice, and yet you choose to submit. There is no greater power than that. So even in the context of a church, I want to be really clear here, because I think, if, if, I think some could take this as saying, oh, this is just a way to kind of subjugate people. Don't speak out, you know, because you're part of the one. We're not saying that. I would actually suggest to be part of the community is to submit even those things that tell you, be quiet, don't voice those things. It's to say, how can I help it to be even better? How can I help this community to be all that she was intended to be and that I will bring something that maybe no one else would and we need that. There's absolutely a need for all of us, but it's always this heart saying, how can I help the good, the greater good to be better than it would be? That it's not just about me. Because when we have the freedom to and we lay our lives down on the altar for the benefit of another, that is the very power of Christ on display. That's Jesus' mission. That's why we remember the Lord through the supper. We remember that Jesus' mission, he had every, if anyone had any right to his freedom, to his rights, it was Jesus. What did he do for the sake of God's mission? Going forth to the nations, he gave up his rights as a king. He gave up his rights as a human. He fully allowed himself to go on a cross, be treated like an animal, be brutalized, to be separated, not, not truly, but to be separated in form from the Father. Why? So that more people could be brought into the family. And he gave up his his rights, gave up his freedoms. And church, I invite you, don't just do it because that's what a good Christian does. Come to the Christ. Remember Christ. And I would encourage you, if you're at that point, may your expression even be part of this church. What does it look like for you, for the sake of another, to submit, to even give up your freedom so that others could know more? Let's stand together. As I mentioned, we're going to come to the table. And if you follow Christ, this is our reminder every week. Because if you're like me, I don't want to submit anything. I like what is mine. I want, but when I come to Christ, I remember the spirit within me. I remember that's actually a better way to life. But I can't do it out of my own strength. It's by knowing Christ. So if you're a Christian, I would invite you to come down during this next song. Take one of these elements. Hold on to it till after the song. We'll take it together as one. If you're not a Christian, I would invite you to consider, do I know Jesus? Not just, I have different beliefs and we'll agree to disagree. We actually, as a church, this might be offensive. We actually believe there's one way to life and his, his name is Jesus. And we want you to know that. And if you're at a place, you're like, I want to know Jesus now. We would love to talk with you. Or maybe you've already done that work with God. And you want to receive Jesus who gave his life for you to be part of his family, take communion, maybe even as, as a follower of Jesus. But whatever it is, this is a sign of unifying.
This is a sign we're given this to bring us together when so many things want to divide us and separate us. So let me pray for us. And before we go into this, can I just ask you quietly in your own heart of hearts, are there any things that would distance you from others? Are there things within you that are holding on? And again, it's never bullying that out of you. That God actually offers you a better way. That freedom is found in worship of God, in love for your neighbor, love for one another. But for me, at least, that's one of the great ways that God offers me the gospel every day because I don't want to do that in my flesh. If you have anything, I would invite you to bring that to the table and bring it to the Lord. Let him speak to you in kindness saying, I'm not trying to hold anything back from you. I actually love you. I want to give you. Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, a lot of words spoken and we don't put our hope in words. But we pray and hope that your spirit can even use a few of those words and draw us closer to you. So I pray for our church. Thank you for this church. I know the many examples of sacrifice, laying down freedoms that are exhibited right here already. Maybe some of us wrestling with, does it matter? Has anything happened from that? Why? And Lord, would you give us a glimpse, pull back the curtain and show us, I've been using it. You're part of something big. It goes way beyond just one little church. So help us to remember the mission of Christ, the one who gave up his life for the sake of the kingdom in love. So as we come to the table, Lord, remind us of who we are in you, not just for ourselves individually, but as a community. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. So let's sing, let's pray. Um, and if you're led, feel free to grab an element and we'll take it after the first song together.